Well, good morning, Firewell family. It is always a privilege to be with you every single Sunday and have the opportunity to be able to worship together. And those of you who are joining us online, if I've not had the pleasure to meet you yet, I'd love to meet you at the end of the service. My name is Pastor Adrian Pina, and I have the opportunity to serve as the interim pastor here at Firewell Bible Fellowship. And we know that there are many places you could choose to worship, but we believe that God has you here today for his specific purpose and his specific plan. And I pray that Whatever you came in here with today, that the Lord will bring encouragement where he needs to bring it, he will challenge you where, he needs to, where you need to be challenged, and that ultimately he will stretch you and that he'll meet you at your place of greatest need today. So uh, we are journeying through the book of Ephesians. Are y'all enjoying our trek through the book of Ephesians? I hope you guys are enjoying it as much as I am. And so I just want to bring us back to where we've been, because really this whole book uh, pieces together very nicely. So we started off in chapter 1 by giving an overview of the book, but then also we looked at six spiritual blessings that Paul talks about that we receive as believers when we are in Christ. So when we place our faith in Jesus, then we are given these numerous different spiritual blessings and benefits that he talked about. And then at the beginning of chapter 2, he takes the Ephesian believers back. He reminds them in the first three verses of what their lives looked like before they came to Christ. And that is also the spiritual state of every individual who has not yet placed their faith in Jesus. And he gives a very uh, kind of somber description of us when we are separated from Jesus. Then in verse 4 is the changing point, but God, the two most grace-filled words in all of Scripture. And when but God happens, then this shift and this transfer happens, that when we are in Christ, we now become these new things, and that all the things that the first Adam did, that Jesus essentially undoes, and now we find this identity in Christ, and as we are rooted in Christ, then by grace, through faith, we are saved, we place our faith and trust in Jesus, and then we start to walk out these good works that God has for us. Then last week we talked about, we dealt with the, we dealt with the difficult topic of discrimination and division. And nothing is new under the sun. You have to remember that this church in Ephesus was a multi-ethnic cultural center. And so here we had Jewish believers who came from Jewish backgrounds who were then integrating with Gentiles. And even though they had gotten saved, these Jewish believers, into this new thing called Christianity, you still couldn't take the Jewishness out of them in that sense. And they still were dealing with some underlying discrimination toward those people who weren't ethnically Jewish. And so as we wrestled through some of those tensions, we saw that this really spoke to our world today as uh, Jewish believers were discriminating against Gentile believers. But we saw that in Christ, the dividing wall of the law that separated essentially the Jews and the Gentiles was broken down through the sacrifice of Christ, and now he makes one new people, and this new people is called the church, comprised of both Jewish believers and Gentile believers alike. Our one true statement last week was this, that there is no discrimination in salvation. That there is no discrimination in salvation. The gospel is one size fits all. God is an equal opportunity savior, okay? So the gospel is one size fits all. Now today, we're going to do a little bit of a shift, and we're going to jump a little ahead in the text, okay? So we're going to find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 14. We'll start, we'll, we'll, we'll lay the context for you of why we're jumping ahead, but we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 14, and we're going to look at this prayer. Now, the book of Ephesians divides into two really nice parts, and this is very common of Paul's letters. The first three chapters, you have kind of the theological section. 
the last three chapters divide into a more working out of faith. Now what does it look like that we're in Christ, that we actually walk out this faith? Well, Paul brings this theology section to a close with a beautiful prayer that gives us some very significant theology, but also this prayer is a beautiful prayer that I hope that you hear prayed over you today. And when you hear the words of the apostle, I want you to hear the words as if they're being prayed over you as well, as if we were there at the church in Ephesus. You know that the Bible's full of prayers, right? Right in the smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount is where we get the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven. You know, we get that prayer right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. As one of the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so as he teaches them how to pray, he gives them this model prayer. John chapter 17, one of the greatest prayers in all of the Bible. Jesus, we call this the high priestly prayer. It's Jesus actually praying for his disciples and his disciples who would come, including you and me. And in John chapter 17, Jesus is pouring his heart out before he goes to the cross, literally praying to the Father. Beautiful prayer. We call that Jesus' high priestly prayer. In Psalm chapter 3, we see David's prayer that God would deliver him, his prayer of deliverance. And the list goes on and on and on and on. Now the Bible, and especially Paul's letters, always include prayers, and that's what we're going to explore this, uh, this morning. And it's always interesting when you see the prayers of Paul, because he knew these churches. You see his heart. For the people. And so it's interesting as we get to a little glimpse into the apostle's heart as he prays from this, for these believers in Ephesus, and we'll learn a lot, and we can observe some things by the way in which Paul prays for these individuals. Now, most of you have a cell phone, right? Everybody in this room, virtually all of you have a cell phone. Raise hand if you have a cell phone, whether it's a smartphone or a dumb phone, all right? All right? It's, if you got a smartphone or a dumb phone, doesn't matter, right? So, we have become tethered to these devices that we call cell phones, right? How many Apple folks we got in the crowd? How many Apple folks? Y'all can raise your hand proud that you spent a crazy amount of money for your phone. That's okay. You can put your, raise your hand proud. I say that, and now I've become an Apple person, so I can't, I can't say too much. Uh, how many Android folks we got in the house? All right, so those are my people, Android folks, all right. So here's the thing, is most cell phones nowadays come with an internal battery. Back in the day, it seemed like you could actually pop off the cover off your phone if your phone battery had an issue and you'd be able to pop in a new battery or if you wanted to put an extended battery on it. Sometimes I used to do that with my phone, put an extended battery on it, and you had access to the actual battery compartment. Nowadays, you can't do that, okay? Nowadays, they're basically like soldered together and you can't get access into that thing or else you're going to break your phone. It's an internal battery. However, your cell phone's very smart. Your cell phone lets you know when there's an internal problem that needs to be addressed. Because you know, like I know, the little indicator light that comes on, or if you have a real fancy phone, you might get a notification that tells you, hey, you got less than an hour left of juice on your phone. So what do you do? You immediately then, hopefully you are like me as well, you probably have multiple chargers laying around, right? Whether you're at the house, you have a charger at the office, you have a charger in your car, you have a charger everywhere. You want to see people fiend for a charger like drug addicts, just look at the airport. When you get to the airport, oh my God, it's like fighting, like to, it's like blood sport out there, man, trying to get to a charger at the airport, right? So, but... Your, your, your cell phone is telling you there's something going on internally that you can't see that needs to be remedied by something external to it. 
okay? The cell phone can't charge itself. It needs to be connected to some outside source in order to provide the battery to, uh, to provide the juice to recuperate and to recharge that battery that has been depleted. This is a really good picture, if you think about it, of prayer. Because when we pray, we often pray, Lord, change my circumstance. Lord, give me this new job. Lord, change this situation that's happening in my life. Lord, help me in this relationship. Lord, change my spouse. Oh, you might not want to pray that one always, by the way. Oh, she might be coming to see me for marriage counseling. All right? But, Lord, I want to change this scenario, change that scenario, change that scenario. We're always talking about, we're always asking God to change the external when oftentimes what needs to be changed is the internal. The internal needs a change. The internal is depleted for some reason, and the internal needs a charge that needs to take place. And so we see in Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, it's a pray for internal change, and it's an internal change that only can come externally because of the work of God now being in Christ. Here we go again with this idea of being in Christ. So when we are in Christ, we can pray, and we can pray to God that God would, from the external in that sense, change something internally within us by his work internally through the person of the Holy Spirit, that he can actually change the circumstances that need to change internally and give us that recharge that we need. We don't need often a change of circumstance. We need an internal change to take place. So here's my one true statement for you this morning, is that prayer recharges our depleted spiritual strength. Let me say that again. Prayer recharges our depleted spiritual strength. Now, here's something very important, theologically speaking. Prayer doesn't change God. Can we agree to that? Prayer doesn't change God. If prayer could change God like you had some type of magic formula, that would make you God because you'd be controlling him. Prayer doesn't change God, but prayer certainly can change you. Because you know what prayer does? Prayer puts us in the proper position to allow us to then come as dependent beings, then on our knees to our, to our God and saying we are totally dependent for you to intervene in this situation. It puts your heart in the right place, it puts, your, it puts your posture in the right place, it puts you in the right attitude, the right frame of mind to be able to say and then interact with God so that way God can move on your behalf. Prayer can change us. Absolutely has the ability to do so. And prayer recharges our depleted spiritual strength because it's not that we're tapping to something that's like within us. We're crying out to God and asking God as a dependent being, God, please move intervene, do something as only you can do to bring about this change. So our text this morning, as I mentioned, is Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 14. We're going to see three specific prayer requests that Paul is going to make in this prayer. And as I said, we're jumping ahead. We're jumping ahead 13 verses in chapter 3. And why are we doing that? The reason why is because if you read verses 1 to 13 in chapter, in, uh, chapter 3, is Paul is basically reiterating what we talked about last week at the end of chapter 2. He goes into more detail. He talks about this mystery. So he t chapter 3 begins with Paul talking about the mystery of the gospel that is revealed according to verse 6. If you look at verse 6, and this mystery is that the Gentiles are now heirs to the promises of Israel through Christ, that they are now part of the family. And Paul literally starts the beginning of chapter 3 by basically saying he's given you an elaboration onto what he just said. 
Okay? So this is an extension of last week's message. So if you didn't get to hear last week's message, go back and listen to last week's message. But we're not going to focus on that because now he's going to shift and he's going to talk about and he's going to end this section with a prayer. And I want to look at that prayer. So the first request that Paul makes, starting at verse 14, is the first request is he requests that believers would know the power of God. He requests that we would know the power of God. Look at verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. Look at verse 16. According to the riches of his glory, his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So verses 14 and 15 are verses that posture us. It's a verse of posture, right? It's like Paul's positioning himself, and he's saying, I bow my knees humbly, and I'm coming before you, before the God of every family on the planet. All right, so the God of all, so that he knows who he's coming to with this request. But verse 16 is really important because he says that you may be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. So the question should come to your mind as to what is this strength that he's talking about? What does it mean for us to be strengthened in this particular context? Great question. I appreciate that. So here's what the word strengthened means. It literally means to be strong to overcome resistance. Listen to that. It means to be strong to overcome resistance. This is the strength that is an overcoming kind of strength, a strength that is able to overcome increasing difficulties, a strength that is able to see through trials, to be able to see yourself through tribulation. Because this strength is coupled together and it, it creates this dynamic power for living that one may be able to live in overcoming victorious life in Christ. It's a beautiful kind of power. Going back to the cell phone illustration. Throughout the day, no matter if you use your cell phone or not, your cell phone will still deplete battery. Just chilling in your pocket, it will deplete battery. It just naturally happens. Your battery discharges a little bit throughout the day. So throughout the day, as you're going about your day, you're going to be able to, you're just going to see that the percentage is going to start going down on the battery meter. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul is praying that this type of strength he's praying for is like connecting to a charger, and the Spirit is the charger, and the Spirit dispenses this power that will refill your soul. That the Spirit dispenses power that's an overcoming kind of power. That the Spirit dispenses this power that where you feel depleted because life has just beat you up. Because you have just been smacked in the face this week by circumstances, by trials, by tribulations. That the Spirit that lives within you, that you tap into, and that He's able to recharge that battery that needs to be charged. How many of y'all need a little recharge today? How many of you walked in here today and maybe feel a little spiritually depleted? That's not a big... That is okay. That makes you welcome to the human race. All right? We ain't always got it together. But you made it here. You want to be able to meet with God. I hope that's your desire. That we can be able to tap in and be able to say, God, I need some strength today. And where does that strength reside? I need that strength within my inner being. I need to be recharged spiritually speaking because I'm feeling depleted because of life right now. In my inner being, in the depths of my soul, I am just dry. I need it. I need it. And listen to what Paul says. He links this power according to the riches of his glory. I don't know about you, but the God that you serve, his glory is boundless. 
His glory knows no end. His glory is infinite. And so this infinite, boundless amount of glory, God does not lack, so he gives it out of his abundance. So he's saying that, that God, that you, the God of all glory, for the praise of your name, that your name will be glorified. Give us this spiritual strength so that way we can overcome and not be depleted in our souls. That way we may return it to you because you are glorious and you are worthy and you have all the glory. So this boundless, endless, um, infinite amount of glory that Paul is likening that to, this unmatched, that we would receive this type of spiritual strength so that way we may return it to him because he is worthy. If I was to wrap this up and pray this over us, here's how I would pray it. God of boundless abundance, would you recharge our spiritual strength today by your spirit? God of boundless abundance, would you recharge our spiritual strength by your spirit today? The second request, beginning of verse 17, is Paul is going to request that these believers would know the presence of Christ. Verse 17. So all of this, tapping into this strength, that we would have this overcoming type of strength, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So the request moves from power to presence. It moves from giving us the spiritual charge and the power to God just be present. There is something powerful about presence. Not presence like you receive things, presence by just being there. You ever have a situation where you don't even know what to say, you know, life has just messed you up bad, and there's just something beautiful about somebody just sitting with you? They don't have to say a word, they just are there. Their gift is their gift of presence. Presence shows that they care about you. It shows that they have made effort to be with you, that they want to hear you, that they just want to be with you. There's something beautiful about the gift of presence. So Paul is moving from power and now he's acknowledging Christ's presence, that we would have the gift of that presence. Here's a principle for you. How do we experience the presence of Jesus? Well, the presence of Jesus comes through intimacy with Jesus. The presence of Jesus comes through intimacy with Jesus. It assumes that we have relationship, that we're connected, that we have this type of relationship that we are present. It's interesting, he says that, so Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. If I could translate the word dwell in a more common vernacular, let me say it this way. We could say that instead of dwell, so that Christ may be at home in your hearts through faith. Let me say that again. That Christ may be at home in your hearts through faith. It's this idea of Christ taking residence in our home, that he just makes it accessible, that he's just there, he's all up in it. He's all up in your life. A number of years ago, there used to be this actual, um, I used to see this bumper sticker a lot that said, God is my co-pilot. Terrible bumper sticker, bad theology. Bad, bad theology. Because God ain't your co-pilot, God's the one who's piloting the ship. All right? But if you were to come to my home or if I was to go to your home, okay, I would welcome you into my house, but there might be some areas of my house you might not have access to. 
okay? So if you, if my bedroom door was closed and all of a sudden you just walked in my bedroom and you just assumed and made yourself at home and laid on my bed and started pulling out my sheets and doing all that kind of stuff, I may give you a certain look or maybe I might be a little bit more gracious, a little bit more firm in my voice about what you are doing with those actions, okay? Because that doesn't have access to you, okay? However, what Paul is trying to say by saying God making his resonance dwelling within us, he's saying that God has access to every single part of your life. There ain't any parts that God can go to and he's saying, okay, this is closed off, no access here. But sometimes what we do is we lock the door, we don't allow him access. Does not Christ say that, you know what, that he is the door, that when we knock, he will open, right? So he is invite. he wants to be in this kind of relationship with us. But sometimes we close them off. We're like, okay, you don't have access to that. You don't have access to my checkbook. You don't have access to, you know, this relationship. You don't have access to this area of my life. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. What we're praying is we're praying, God, that you are all over the place, that you dwell within, that you make yourself at home in my heart. That's how I would pray this. Jesus, make yourself at home in our hearts. Remember in chapter 2, verse 21, we're called to be a holy temple in the Lord. In verse 22 of chapter 2, we are called a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's one of the greatest truths of Scripture that at one time God's presence resided in a building, and now God's presence resides within you. The God of the universe makes His home in you. That's an incredible reality. And yet we treat him like an unwanted house guest at times. I ain't giving you access to that room. I ain't giving you, you can't, get, you can't go there. Don't go there with me. And he's saying, I want it all. He holds it all, right? I want it all. I want unfiltered, unadulterated, complete and total access. That's what it means as a dependent being when we place our dependence upon God. Here's the last thing. Here's what I want to dwell on a little bit. The last part of Paul's prayer is he prays that we would perceive, that we would have a perception of God's love for us. Look at the end of verse 17. He says that you being rooted and grounded in love have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, what is the length, what is the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what he's praying for them. What a beautiful prayer. Now, if you've ever dealt with electrical equipment, you might have heard about a ground wire. The purpose of a ground wire is to give excess electrical charge a safe place to go in order that there would not be something destructive that would happen. It's a protective measure and it directs the electricity that flows where it needs to go. The love of God is like that. It grounds us in the midst of unstable conditions outside of us and within us. This turmoil sometimes that's coming at us from all sides outside of us, but it's also coming from inner turmoil. And yet, the love of God grounds us. It is this overarching truth that neutralizes, listen to this, it neutralizes the energy of our feelings, it neutralizes the energy of our circumstances, and it neutralizes anything else that would seek to deplete our spiritual strength. The fact that God loves you should serve as an anchor. 
It is a grounding measure. It's what keeps my feet of faith to the ground. It's what helps me to know that I am a child of God. It keeps me, it's, sometimes it's the only thing you can hold on to. That it would root you, that it would plant you. Knowing that God loves us helps to ground us spiritually. Listen to the words of the prayer. Paul wants his listeners to know that the love of Christ, he says, it surpasses all knowledge. He wants us to comprehend something that's incomprehensible. But this love is something you and I can only know in part. We can't know it in full. We do not have the ability to grasp what is the height, what is the depth, what is the breadth, what is the extent of this magnificent love. And even the picture that we do get is enough to make you fall to your knees because it's so magnificent. I want to stop for a moment, and I want you all to look at me, and I want you to hear the words of my mouth, okay? God loves you. 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 That grounding truth of Scripture, it's not trivial. It's one of the most significantly profound theological truths that a God who needs nothing, nothing, has a desire to interact with humanity that he created, that turn his back on him constantly, and yet still as, the, as a lover who's pursuing his beloved, who consistently pursues us and shows and demonstrates his love toward us always. The God of the universe loves you. He knows your name. He knows every hair that's on your head. Before you were even created in your mother's womb, he knew you, as David says in the Psalms. God loves you. We can't think about love in human terms. Because no human could possibly love you like he can. His love is sacrificial. His love is long-suffering. His love is patient. His love is kind. His love is everlasting. His love is perfect. His love is full of grace. His love is consistent. His love is so much more than you will ever be able to experience even in the greatest relationship that you can have as a human being. Every Sunday, we have the opportunity to celebrate communion. All you need to know about how much God loves you is you just have to remember the cross. It's literally the demonstration of the love of God. That God would lower himself to be our sin bearer upon the cross. A God who has no need of anything yet makes the choice to love us. Here at Firewheel Bible Fellowship, we have a saying. You all know what it is. We say you are loved, right? That's why I wore this t-shirt today. But this saying, I believe in this church, is more than a tagline. 
And I believe that it's something that needs to be emulated in the life of all believers. We genuinely believe that as human beings created in the image and likeness of God, that we are loved by an infinite and mighty God. And we believe that every person who walks into these doors is equally loved by that God. And that that God wants them to know him and to have a relationship with him. From the moment that you come onto this campus, when you see Kevin Big Dog out there saying you are loved, with his sign and with his little LED screen, you know, and everything, saying that and then proclaiming it from the mountaintops and living out that message and wanting to show it through a smiling face, telling people that they are loved. Why? Because God loves you. It's not a tagline. It's not something nice to put on a postcard. It is a significant theological truth that to you and to me needs to be an anchor for life. The God of the universe loves you. That means he doesn't stop loving you when you go through hard times. That doesn't mean he stops loving you when things aren't going right. It doesn't mean he stops loving you when all of a sudden relationships are getting hard. It doesn't mean that he stops loving you when you get passed over for that promotion. It doesn't mean that he stops loving you when you get that cancer diagnosis. Diagnosis. What it means is that God's love will anchor you not only for this life, but the fulfillment of that will be the life to come when your love, when his love will literally be standing face to face with you when you see him. That's the reality of it. It's a love that goes beyond this life. It's a love that we experience here and now, but the beauty of it is going to be experienced so much more in full when we get to see him. He is love. Does not the scripture literally say, God is love? That's what he is. So my prayer for you and I is that God, may we begin to comprehend your amazing love for us. May we begin to even wrap our minds around what that would look like and how the depth of it is so unsearchable. Paul ends this passage with a beautiful doxology. Doxology literally is an expression of praise. The word doxa in Greek literally means praise. And so it's an expression of praise. And listen to what he says in verse 20. After he's given us these beautiful things and he's just talked about praying for them that they would understand the depth of this love of that comes from God, he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power. What's that power that works within us? It's the power of the Spirit that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in, G in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. May he be glorified in the church throughout all generations. May we declare his love. Through a while we have every breath in our body, may we declare his goodness and his greatness. And may he be able to do more than we can ever ask or think because of his magnificent and glorious power. Let's summarize this for you this morning. So our one true statement this morning was that prayer recharges our depleted spiritual strength. Whenever we are feeling internally drained, we can connect to the external source. We throw up prayers. That's an external thing to us. We're asking God then to internally by the Spirit to do His work to recharge that depleted spiritual battery. Paul requests three things for the Ephesians that I want you to see today, and I want you to pray these things 
over yourself as well. That he requests that they would know the power of God. That second, that they would know the presence of Christ. And that three, that they would perceive God's amazing love for them. So how can you put this into practice? I would encourage you to reread this passage, verses 14 to 21, numerous times throughout this week. And I would encourage you during your prayer time to take out the word you and insert your name or the name of another an individual. I would encourage you not only to pray this over yourself, but I'd encourage you to pray it over another person as well. Pray it over your spouse, parents, pray it over your kids. Pray it over those loved ones who are lost. Pray it over those people that need to know Jesus that are near and dear to you. Pray it over those who may even know Jesus but who are going through difficult time right now. That you would take this and you would use this as part of your daily time in replacing that you and putting a name and a face to it. And saying, like, I can imagine the Apostle Paul as he's writing this letter, thinking about the faces of the people that he knows in Ephesus. And as he's a good spiritual father, it's like he's praying from the depth of his soul and he's praying for them. And I can see him just picturing their faces as he prays for them. What a beautiful way for us to express love toward one another and to show each other that we are loved then by praying for one another. So consider doing that this week. I think it'll be a fruitful exercise for you. Let's pray. So Lord, I do pray that you will help us to begin to even get a glimpse of the magnificent depths of the love that you have for us. How unsearchable it is, how the breadth, the length, the width, the height. And yet even what we can begin to understand is because of a work of you. And Lord, we are in awe. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that we are called your children. Thank you that we are known by you. That the God who has no need saw fit to be in relationship with those he created. And Lord, you adopt us into your family. You call us children. You call us friends. You say we are beloved. And Lord, I do pray today for those who are under the sound of my voice today who may not know and may not have a relationship with you. I pray that they would know the love of God that is expressed through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life as a human to suffer and pay the penalty for our sins. He died upon the cross as the greatest expression of love. As Romans 5.8 tells us that, for this is the love of God expressed, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in the giving of his life, he was buried and he rose again to pay the price for salvation. And he wants you to know him, and he is knocking at the door today. Will you let him in? If that's you today and you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you can from the quietness of your own heart. Scripture just simply says we believe. We don't do anything. We just receive and we believe. And believe just means we put our trust in. We trust in the person and the work of Jesus. And if you want to do that today, you can say right from your seat, Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. I recognize that you love me so much that you paid the price for my sin. That you were buried, that you died upon the cross and you were buried and you rose again. I want to make you the Lord and King over my life. I pray that you would take residence within me 
and that you would make me a new creation in you. That I may know you, that I may truly know what it means to be loved by you, and that I can express that love to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You are loved. You are loved. Firewheel, let's not make that, that's not a tagline. It's not something that looks great on a t-shirt. It's something that we have all over this place. But I pray it wouldn't be just something that's branded on the outside of a shirt, but it'd be branded in your heart. To know what it means not only for you personally to be loved, but how much God loves every individual who walks into this place. So those that you see on a Sunday who walk in with smiling faces yet hurting hearts, let's be an expression of love to them. Let's pray for people when they need prayer. Let's hug them when they need a hug. Let's listen to them when they need somebody who just needs to be present with them to show them how much we love them because our Savior greatly loves us. Amen? Amen. Amen. If we can get you all to stand, we'll go on and get you dismissed. So let's pray this benediction over you today as you go out into the world. So may the Lord go before you to light your path and to give you direction. May he go behind you to guide your steps. May he go beside you to keep you from stumbling. May he go above you to protect you. And may he go within you to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And may our Father in heaven always grant to you the character that is greater than your gifts uh, in humility that is greater than your influence. God bless you guys. We love you all so much. We will see you all next week.